Yeah, so thanks, Jordan. That's awesome. I, there's so many. There are so many stinking funny stories I could tell you about Jordan. And if you find me afterwards, I'll, I'll tell them. Uh, so I, I sound weird tonight. If you guys are like, he sounds really sick. I am. So uh, that like really nasally thing you hear. It, it's not the way I normally sound. I'm I'm kind of under the weather. Uh, but I kind of. That's actually not true. I, I sound kind of like this normally. I might. <laughs> Is that true? Do I kind of, yeah, yeah, I have like a jacked up voice normally, so it's, it's worse tonight than normal. No, I was at, uh, I wasn't going to tell this, but I was at church camp one year, and uh, we were having this night game, and uh, we, were, we were out like running, and I'm like running from one of like the guards, like a night game kind of thing, and I'm like trucking through the woods, like it's pitch black, they're trying to like catch you with a flashlight kind of deal, and I'm just trucking through the woods as fast as I possibly can, no lights, can't see anything, and I trip on a stump, and like, I just go, and like my face smashes into the ground, and I, I stand up, and like I'm hurt, like I'm, my whole body hurts, but my face really hurts, and I stand up, and all of a sudden I realize like there is literally a stick like the size of my pinky that is jammed into my nose, like literally deep into my nose, and I'm standing there like, and my head's kind of like ringing, and I like, I, I, I literally just go, and I start, I pull this out, and it goes, it comes out, and it takes like two, hands to pull out like I'm not it was like that much came out and uh so like literally the tip of it had like yellow stuff like it didn't like go into my brain but it was like almost right and so ever since then I like I I, I kind of breathe like a pug my, my wife my wife literally says I do like fat guy breathing which is like sad because I am like really skinny but anyway uh yeah I kind of always sound jacked up from from that story anyway that's that's not at all what I'm talking about tonight uh we're, we're in Genesis so actually if you have a Bible pull it out um you guys have been going through Colossians and, and I was hanging out with a girl before this she was like I'm so excited for the passage I love this passage and I was like that's so awesome that's not what I'm teaching on <laughs> now we're going to be in Genesis we in Iowa City we've been running through Genesis this semester, and, and I, I came up because I want to share a really specific story from Genesis with you guys. Uh, my guess is it's a story that all of you at some level are familiar with. Maybe you're not. Maybe you've never heard this before, but, but it's, it's kind of a common story. It's the story of Abraham and Isaac, um, Genesis 22. So you can turn there, but I think what God's going to do is I think God's going to actually take this story, and maybe you've heard it a hundred times, maybe you've heard it a thousand times, but I think tonight he's going to help you understand it in a new and fresh way that's actually going to help you love Jesus way, way more than you do right now. That's what I think God's going to do. And so um, if, if you got a Bible, pull it out. Uh, but before we do that, I'm actually, we're going to show uh, a video um, that we're going to queue up really quick. But before we do that, I just want to give you background just so that this video doesn't like come out of nowhere. Um, in the story of Genesis, uh, God's like created the world and he created like Adam and Eve in the garden. It was beautiful. It was perfect. But then there's the fall, right? Mankind sins. We rebel against God. We're kicked out of the Garden of Eden. And then God eventually goes into all the world of broken, sinful people. And he picks a guy named Abraham. And he picks this guy and he begins to have a relationship with Abraham, this intimate relationship where he says, I'm going to be your God and, and you're going to be my guy. And he gives Abraham this promise. And he says, okay, I'm actually going to give you a son. And this son's name is going to be Isaac. But then the story of Abraham and Isaac in Genesis 22 is after this relationship happens, after God kind of gives him this miraculous son, this is what happens in Genesis 22. So we're going to watch it and then we're going to read it. The story um, 
when you're first looking at that story, and we're about to read it, it poses a question. The question to Abraham, and I think the question to us as we, as we encounter that story, is this question on its face. It says, how much do you love God? How much do you love God? Right? That seems to be the question that's posed from this story. What would we do if God asked the ultimate from us? Right? What do we do if God asks us to give up what is most precious to us? Well, in Genesis 22, God takes this question out of the abstract. Right? It's not just an out there question. No, he, he asks Abraham to sacrifice his son, his only son whom he loves. And in the pages of Genesis 22, we read in an almost kind of agonizing slow motion account the story of a father answering this question, do you love me enough to give up what is most precious to you? Three things I want to look at tonight. I want to look at, first, the command of God. I want to look at this, what is God asking in this command? And then, two, the faith of Abraham. And then I want to end by looking at the lamb on the mountain. But I want to actually just read the text. We, we kind of saw that, that video, but I want to actually just read it for you guys. This is what it says, Genesis 22. It says, After these things, God tested Abraham and said, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning. He saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes, and he saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they both, so they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the land for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and he laid the wood in order and he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. The angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. First thing I want us to look at is the command of God. This is how the text starts in 22. It starts after these things. And if you guys are like reading the Bible, this happens a ton, right? Where you kind of you jump in somewhere, and all of a sudden it's like, well, there's like context we don't have, right? After these things, there's a story. So what are these things? Well, we kind of just went over before the video, but I, I want to dive in a little deeper because here's, here's who Abraham was. 
Abraham was God's chosen guy. They had this deep, intimate relationship. And the relationship wasn't just like, hey, I'm going to kind of, we're going to be friends, we're going we're to hang out. No, it was this covenantal relationship where there were promises God made to Abraham. He picked him and said, I'm going to be your God, and actually I'm going to bless you in a really specific way. I am going to make you into a great nation. He's a single dude with no kids, has a wife, no kids. He doesn't have like a family. He just has a wife, right? And he's been infertile for a long time, and so he's like, okay, God, that's kind of a cool uh, you know, promise, but I don't think that's going to actually happen. No, but God says, I'm going to actually do this. You are going to have a son. You're going to be a great nation. Sarah, your wife, is going to give birth. Abraham and Sarah, they're infertile for decades, right? In that day and age, this was like everything was your lineage, your family. They don't have a family. They're infertile. But God said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you a family, but they're really old. Abraham is literally 100 years old at this time. Their life has passed them by. They've had no children, even though God has promised them this. And then all of a sudden, it happens. Abraham's 100 years old. They have a kid. That's weird, okay? But that's what happens, right? Like God fulfills his promise, and all of a sudden, there's this miracle baby is born, Isaac. Sarah is overjoyed. Abraham is amazed. God did it. And this is what happens. Abraham holds this amazing feast. Sarah says that what has happened has actually brought joy and laughter into her heart and into the heart of all the people around him. It's like this amazing gift of God has come into their lives, this incredible, amazing blessing that's changed everything about their life. Everything. Everything is wrapped up in this blessing of God, this miracle baby named Isaac. God did the miraculous. He's brought blessing to his people. And after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Just think about that for a second. The kid God promised you, the biggest blessing in your life, the object of your affection, all of a sudden God comes to you and says, I want you to make an altar and I want you to sacrifice him. Just sit in that for a second. Some, some people, when they, they approach this story, this is kind of what they do with it. They go, okay, here's what this story is saying. This story is basically saying that God is, is so big, he's so powerful, like it's God, right? And so even if God tells you to do something crazy, you're supposed to do it. Or even if what God tells you to do is, just makes no sense, you're supposed to do it, right? Even if obeying him is crazy, even if obeying him makes no sense, even if obeying him is murder, we're supposed to obey God. Some people take this story and they say that even if the Bible says doing evil things, it says that if you do evil things, it's okay as long as God tells you to do it, right? It kind of seems like that might be what's going on in this story. That's not at all what's going on. That's not what the story is about. No, God is not giving Abraham this kind of insane command and saying, let's just see how far you're going to go in this obedience thing. That's not what's going on. God does not say, Abraham, are you willing to kill your son? God says, Abraham, it's time to bring a sacrifice. It's time to bring a sacrifice, but this time it isn't going to be the first of your flock. It isn't going to be the first of your produce. It's going to be your first and only son. This seems pretty foreign to us, right? This idea of sacrifice. We don't think about these ideas today, but Abraham was no stranger to sacrifice. He knew that the sin of himself 
and the sin of his family required atonement. It's actually likely that these words were not a surprise to Abraham, but these words were actually the words that he had been fearing for years. These are the words of the nightmare that Abraham had been pushing back into the darkest corners of his mind for the last 10 years. That the sacrifice that God would require of him would be the very thing he held most precious. Isaac, his son. Abraham's sin had finally caught up with him. The cost of his sin was going to be his son's life. But the author of Genesis, he lets us into kind of something that Abraham doesn't know, right? It says that God was testing him. Well, what what was the test about? Well, he actually gives us a description of this. He kind of gives us a hint at what this test was about. He says it like this. He says, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love. The author's doing something there that he wants us to pay attention to. You see, something has happened in Abraham's heart over the last years where, although God called him and he had this amazing relationship, this intimate relationship with God, something had happened in his heart where all of a sudden God had started to become second place to something else. The blessing of God in Abraham's life had begun to be an idol. And slowly over time, Abraham began to love the blessing of God more than God himself. And this this actually should cause us to ask a question, right? As Christians in the room, we have to ask this question, do you love God or do you love the blessings God gives you? And, And maybe there's even a better way to ask this. Maybe you say, okay, what do you love more? Do you love God more or do you love the blessings he gives you more? Right, Most of the time, for the average Christian in this room, we don't have to choose between those two things. God's blessing in our life and God himself, but Abraham had to choose. He had to. God goes to the very center of Abraham's heart, and he puts his finger on Isaac. And he says, give me this. And Abraham, this is stunning, by the way. If you're not stunned by what Abraham does, you're not reading the story. Abraham, for all his failures, for all his sin, if you read through Genesis, you'll see Abraham's a really jacked up guy. He's a very, very sinful person. But for all of his failures, he responds to God with faith. The faith and obedience is incredible. And that's what I want to look at next, the faith of Abraham. This is what it says next. It says this, so it says, so Abraham rose early in the morning. He saddled his donkey, takes two of his young men with him. He takes Isaac, and then he cuts the wood for the burnt offering. And he arose and he goes to the place God told him. Right? They eventually get there. And then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy, we're going to go over there. We're going to worship and we're going to come back to you. And Abraham takes the wood, the burnt offering, the fire and the knife. They go up together. And then they have this conversation, right? He says, my father. He said, here I am, my son. And he said, behold, you have the fire and you have the wood, but where is the lamb? Right? We're going to go do a burnt offering. Where is the lamb? Right? This is really awkward. It's really weird. He's saying, where is the lamb? Well, Isaac is the lamb as far as we're concerned at this point in the story. But Abraham says this. He says, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them up together. Now here's the question. What do we do when the thing that God has commanded us to do goes against or seems to go against the things God has promised us? Right? Isaac was the, the promised child. 
God came to Abraham and he said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you into a great nation. And actually now he's telling you, I need you to sacrifice the son I promised to give you. What do we do when all of a sudden the, the command of God comes into our life and it seems to go against the promises that he's given us? I don't think this is an abstract thing. I think this is something that all of us face all the time. You know, one of the things that happens in Iowa City a ton, and my guess is going to happen here a ton too, is people become a Christian. They become a Christian and they're dating someone they really, really like and they really, really would say they love this person. But they become a Christian. That person's not a Christian. Well, what do you do in that situation? Because God's super clear and he says, hey, if you're a Christian, I want you to, I want you to be uh, romantically involved only with other Christian people. I only want you to be engaged with other Christian people. I don't want you to date other Christians. Christians and Christians go together. That's what Jesus says. And so what do you do when all of a sudden you have this? Right? God wants you to be happy. He wants you to flourish. He wants you to have relationships. And he wants you to experience love. God actually wants that for you. He promises to bring good things into your life. But all of a sudden he has this command where he says, Hey, the person you're in love with, I don't want you to be with that person. What do you, what do you do? Or what do you do when you have a major that you're really into? You really like your major, and you like it because you're going to get paid a ton of money when you graduate, right? I know what some of you guys chose your major for. You looked on a list, and you were like, dang, I can make that much money in four years? Heck yes, all right? I was there. I get it. Well, what do you do when God says, hey, I want you out of that. I want you to get a piece of crap major where you can't make money. He might say that. He really might. He did to me. That's why I'm a pastor now, right? No, like, really, what, what do you do when God does that? And you're like, but God, you, but this, is, this seems like the way to life. This seems like the way to, to blessing and flourishing. And he says, no. What do you do when the command of God goes against the promises of God? Well, what Abraham does is stunning. Abraham responds with faith. Look what he says. He says, stay here with the donkey, talking to his servants. He says, stay here with the donkey, I and the boy will go over there and we will worship. And then we will both come to you again. And then he says, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. Abraham responds in an amazing way. Listen to this. He responds in obedience to God's commands. He obeys. He just obeys straight away. He responds in obedience to God's commands, yet with faith that somehow God will still keep his promises. He has no idea how this is going to work. He doesn't understand what's going to happen. He just knows that somehow God's justice is going to be satisfied through sacrifice and somehow God will still be gracious to bless him as he promised. You know, uh, a lot of people ask me when we're, we're talking theology or, or we're kind of talking and they go, okay, David, explain to me, like, I get how people are saved in the New Testament. It's, it's through Jesus on the cross and people that they take their, their sin, right? Their guilt and their shame and they basically throw it at the feet of Jesus and they, they have faith in him. They say, what Jesus did on the cross, that paid for my sin. He took his, my punishment, he took that, right? And you put faith in Jesus. You exchange places with him. You're, you're joined to Christ. I get how that works in the New Testament, but how the heck are people saved in the Old Testament? It's like a pretty common question. I would just say, this is how. This story is how people are saved in the Old Testament. This is what Abraham's saying. He's saying, I don't know how God is going to do it, but somehow God is going to provide a lamb. Somehow God is going to be just 
and he's going to be gracious at the same time. Somehow God is going to atone for my sin and the sin of my family, and he's still going to give us the blessing he has promised. I have no idea how he's going to do that, but I'm going to walk up this mountain in faith that somehow he will. Abraham had faith that God would provide a lamb. The difference between us and Abraham is we just know the name of the lamb. His name's Jesus. So Abraham, he walks up the mountain with his son, and Hebrews tells us that Abraham had so much faith in God that he believed that even if he took the knife and put it in his son, that God would be able to raise him from the dead. Incredible faith. Incredible faith. But don't, don't miss this. At the same exact time that he's having faith, incredible agony. Absolutely incredible agony. Genesis, if you, if you read it, Genesis doesn't give us a lot of details and stories, but for this story, it zooms in and it slows down and we feel the weight as the author in almost slow motion explains what happens. He didn't just go to the place God shows him. No, he rises early in the morning. He saddles the donkey. He takes two of his men. He takes Isaac with him and he begins to cut the wood that he is going to need for the sacrifice. The story unfolds as if slow motion, the agony and the burden weighing heavier through each blow of the axe. Can you imagine that? Like, can you imagine that? To be outside cutting wood, knowing that later that wood, there are going to be flames that are licking up the side of the wood that are going to be engulfing the son you love. I mean, just put yourself in Abraham's position for a second. They journey to the mountain for three days. Those were probably the worst three days of Abraham's life. Three days. Each step bringing Abraham closer to the moment where he's going to have to expose to his son that he has a blade. Right, each step bringing more weight and more agony. And it says this in verse 9, When they came to the place which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there, and he laid the wood in order, and bound Isaac his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Isaac is complicit. He doesn't fight back. He submits to his father, and he waits for the knife. And then Abraham reaches out his hand, and he takes the knife to slaughter his son. Now, just stop before we move on. Just sit in this. Just sit in this moment. Like, put yourself there. Like, go on the mountain, get a slab of granite, and just sit down and look at this. Do you feel cold breeze of mountain air? Do you hear the silence of father and son as a blade of death fills the space between them? Do you see the look on Abraham's face? The son that he loves, terrified and quiet below him. Look at it. Feel it. What does it do in, in you? What does this do to you? Like, really, what does it do? Because for, for a lot of us, my guess is this, is this is actually a really deeply haunting story. It's haunting. It's, it, it's actually, it's appalling, Right? And, and kind of the end of the story that there's an animal there, like it doesn't really make it okay. No, God is okay if, if God would ask, you know, for certain things to be sacrificed. Like we get it, okay? God, you can ask for certain things to be sacrificed, but this is his son. 
This is his son. And it's not just his son, one of his sons. It's his only son. It's the son he loves. How could God possibly ask anyone to do something so unthinkable? Do you feel this? The outrage of this story. If you aren't a little bit angry, then maybe you're not really listening. Maybe it's like you're hearing this story, but you're not really hearing it, you know? It's like so many things in our life, right? Like we see on our Facebook feed, right? Like scrolling through and like we see the war and we see the death tolls and we see all this stuff and it just kind of hits our chest and bounces off, right? We're these hard-hearted people where there's so much stuff that we just, we hear things, we don't really hear it. We see things, we don't really see it. God told Abraham to take his son and offer him as a burnt sacrifice, The story, it's nuts. In the Hebrew, it uses the word son over and over and over again so that you as a reader would have that dug into your heart and agonize over it over and over and over and over again. He'd been waiting his entire life for a child. He'd been infertile his whole life and finally God gave him one and now he tells him, you need to sacrifice him. Don't you feel this in your heart like I do where you just, you read this story and you go, God, no! Come on, no. Why would you do that? Like, why would you ask that of him? He's your follower. He loves you. He's like the only guy who's following you. Why would you ask him to go through that? Why would you ask something like that of him? And I don't know if you feel that like I do, but I feel that when I read this story. I feel a sense of outrage. But what if, just what if that's actually the point? What if that's the point of the story? What if it's only when we become angry and outraged at the story that we can begin to be filled with awe and wonder about what the story is actually about? And that's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about what the point of the story is. The lamb on the mountain. Right, right when Abraham lifts his knife above his son, God stops him. And God says, now I know that you fear and love me because you have not withhold your son, your only son from me, right? God stops him because the goal of this whole thing, right? It was never for Abraham to actually sacrifice his son. No, the goal of this was to get Abraham to put God above everything else in his life. And as Abraham raises the knife filled with faith, filled with agony, but filled with love for God, God calls out from heaven and he says, don't touch the boy. And as Abraham lifts his eyes, he sees a lamb standing next to him. And Abraham takes the lamb and he lays it where his son was laying. In his grace, God provides a lamb to sacrifice instead of Abraham's son. Abraham slaughters the lamb he lights the altar, and Abraham and Isaac, his son, they both stand back and they watch as the lamb that God provided is consumed on the altar. Listen, this moment is what the entire story is about. It's not about Isaac. It is not about Abraham. It's about the lamb. This story, listen to this, guys. Zoom in for a second with me. This story is not about God seeing a presentation 
of what Abraham is willing to do for him. That's not what the story is about. It's not about God seeing a representation of what Abraham is willing to do for God. This entire story is a presentation to Abraham about what one day God is going to do for him. This story isn't about Abraham's sacrifice. It's about God's sacrifice. Because you see, God wasn't asking Abraham to sacrifice his one and only son. God had Abraham go through all of this to show Abraham in the most profound, visceral way possible that one day God was going to sacrifice his one and only son. Nancy Guthrie, she's, she's a writer and a theologian. She says this about this passage, and, I, and this really helped me. She says this, she says, Perhaps when we read this story, we're actually meant to feel appalled. Perhaps it's not until we feel a sense of outrage over these seemingly unfair requests that we can begin to be prepared to feel an appropriate sense of wonder when we begin to see what we're meant to see in these difficult-to-swallow scenarios. When we begin to see what God intends for us to see, our outrage gives way to adoration, our anger gives way to worship, and horror melts into humility before a God who, rather than asking the unthinkable of us, has done the unimaginable for us. And listen to what she says next. She says, the point of this story is not to convince you that you must be willing to sacrifice to God what is most precious to you, but rather it is to prepare you to take in the magnitude of the gift when you see that God was willing to sacrifice what was most precious to Him, His own beloved Son, for you. You see, this story, it's not about how Abraham would walk up a mountain with his son. This whole entire story is about how God the Father would walk up a mountain with his son. Do you guys know the mountains of Moriah, the hills of Moriah? Actually, those are the hills around Jerusalem. It's actually probable that the exact mountain that Abraham walked up with his son Isaac is the exact mountain that Jesus walked up to the cross. That one day, God the Father would walk up the same mountain and instead of carrying the wood, God's son would carry a cross. And God would watch as nine-inch long spikes were driven over and over again into the wrists and ankles of the one he loves, stripped naked except for a crown of thorns. God's beloved son was lifted high into the air. In the middle of two thieves, the king of the universe hung on a cross. And you know what? Isaac, even with his father, with his knife raised in the air, knowing he's about to be crushed by his father's blade, he could see in his father's eyes his father loves him. Even in the middle of that scenario, he could see that his father loves him. Jesus didn't get that. Jesus didn't get that. What Jesus got was his father with his face turned away from him, his back turned away from him. Jesus wasn't even able to experience the love of his father when his father was bringing the knife down on him. Edmund Clowney says it like this, the son paid the price on Calvary. So did the father. In mystery beyond mystery, the eternal God was silent 
as the incarnate Son cried, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Not just, as the, not just at the incarnation did God give His Son, He gave Him also in the darkness, in the silence, as He forsook the one He loved. You know, I, I don't know where you guys are at with Jesus. I don't know where you guys are at with, with the message of the cross, the message of the gospel, but here's what's true. I think a lot of us go through our lives as Christians with the message of the cross just bouncing off of us. Like we've heard it so many times, we, we get it, we kind of, we see necklaces, we, we understand it, but it's like we're hearing it, but we're not hearing it. We see it, but we don't actually see it. We hear the story that God gave up His only Son for us, His, His one Son, the one the Son that He actually loves, and we just don't care. We just don't care. We've got other, more important things going on. And I think the reason God put this story in Genesis is that it would outrage and it would shake us into feeling something, just feeling anything. So that maybe by being affected by this story, we might be affected by the real story it is pointing to, that maybe for the first time in our life, we might look at what God did for us and we might actually feel it, that we might actually be amazed by it, that we might be overwhelmed by it. And maybe for some of you in the room, for the very first time, you might actually be changed by it. Maybe in seeing and being moved by this story in Genesis, we might see the gospel in a new way, that the words that God speaks to Abraham would become the words that we speak to God. And we say, now I know that you love me, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. First John 4, it was, it was on the, the video, but it says this. It says, this is love. You guys want to know what love is? This, this is love. The Bible defines it. Not that we loved God. Love is not that you love God. This is what love is, that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And so the question I asked at the very beginning, you guys remember it? The very beginning? What do we do when God asks the ultimate sacrifice of us? That's the wrong question, isn't it? It's not the question that's over our lives. No, the question over our lives isn't what do we do when God asks the ultimate sacrifice of us? but rather, what do we do knowing that God has already offered the ultimate sacrifice for us? What do we do when God isn't coming to us and saying, okay, it's time to pay up for your sin. Your sins have caught up with you. It's time to pay. Or, hey, it's time to bring a sacrifice. What do we do when actually the story of the Bible is that every single thing that's required for you to be in a relationship with God has been paid not by you or your goodness, but by Jesus? What do we do? Because there's still a question this story asks, and it's how do you respond? Well, every single person has to answer that question for themselves, but you guys are part of Salt Company. You're part of Salt Company. And Salt Company, the way we have answered that question for a really long time, is we worship Jesus like crazy. We worship Jesus like crazy. Because you know what's true? Every single other religion in the entire world would read this story and would view this story and would walk away from it and say, wow, this person did an amazing thing for God. If only we could be more like that. And as Christians, we read this story 
and we say, how amazing is it that at the end of this story there's a lamb whose name is Jesus who did it all. That you don't have to bring your greatest sacrifice to God because he brought his greatest sacrifice for you. That's why we can sing louder than any single other person in the world is because we have the greatest message of hope in the entire world. Let's pray and we will worship this King Jesus, this lamb on the mountain together. Jesus, this, this story in Genesis, I love it because it's so, it is such a 180. God, it, it, you read this on his face and it's just like, God, how am I ever, ever going to be like Abraham? How am I ever going to muster up just enough faith and courage and strength to, to follow you in such a hard, difficult thing? And then the end of the story, I'm just blown away. I'm amazed because you're not asking me to sacrifice everything. You're saying, I did this for you. And God, it turns my angry heart into a heart of worship. God, it turns my stressful heart into a heart of praise. It turns all my mourning, all my agony, all my insecurities into just a heart that wants to stand up and praise you and say, God, I cannot believe that you would walk through that for me. And if nothing else, I walk away from this and I say, God, you must love us so much more than we can possibly understand. So God, would we be able to worship you tonight?